And so last week, we began a new sermon series which will cover most of our September and October uh, services called Walking Together, when we're exploring these, this collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. They're a particular group, a distinct collection. It runs from Psalm 120 through to Psalm 134. And these 15 songs were used by God's people as they journeyed together towards the temple, up towards the temple in Jerusalem on their pilgrimage there for one of the great festivals. They're communal expressions of how the people felt as they came to God. They're songs that are shared by the whole community in its richness and diversity. And they're psalms that are a mixture of honest reflection and excitement about the future. But more than that, they are shot through with hope and expressions of solidarity. Now this morning, again, we're looking at two of them. And in the first Psalm 123, we have the pilgrims, the community, talking directly to God. So this is a bit different to the ones we looked at last week. We have that distinction with songs that we sing sometimes, don't we? Some of the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing, are about our faith. They're telling the story. They're speaking about God and what it means to be God's people. And then there are other songs that we sing that are speaking directly to God. So it's the same sort of thing. We need both. And here they are both in the Psalms of Ascent. And it starts by declaring to God that they trust God. And then it goes on to ask for God's help in the midst of the challenges that they are facing. Now the way that it's written, it's easily split into two bits. It could be that the first uh, two verses are spoken by one person from the community, sort of a, a lead spokesperson. I suspect more than likely somebody took that role upon themselves. You might have people in your own family that declare themselves spokespeople on particular issues. Who knows? And the rest join in for the second part. So they begin with this cry and then everyone else comes in. We know what comes next. We all join in together. God, you are the one who can save us. Have mercy on us is their prayer. Lord, would you bring change. You see and know the opposition and the derision that we face from those around us, so would you come and help us, Lord? What we don't know is the exact circumstances the people were facing at the moment this psalm was written. We can have a good guess, but we don't know precisely. But it's almost certain that these words were then taken and used and applied in a variety of contexts beyond their original one. It's why they endured. It's why they became Psalms of Ascent. In the same way that many of us now perhaps might read something in the Psalms and it articulates something of what we want to express and we haven't quite found words for yet. So the same with these Psalms. The community took them and owned them and would have applied them perhaps to a variety of situations. It's possible that they're being mocked because of the way their nation, the nation of Israel, was being defeated and conquered. It was not necessarily a source of pride in international summits to be part of the nation of Israel. It could be that those around them are laughing and dismissing them because of their faith in God. The language that we have here could apply to both. 
both personal situations that people are facing and broader geopolitical considerations. What we do know, however, is that being God's people is certainly no guarantee that life will be easy or that all will go well. Most of us here could testify to that truth, I suspect. It never has been that, in fact, right from the very beginning. And so we must not expect it to be that way for us. Our faith is never a ticket that enables us to bypass pain or difficulty. Because, friends, quite simply, if it were, Jesus would not have ended up crucified on a cross. That is not the story that we have to tell. And so part of the dynamic of these songs for the people of God in this moment is how they are bound together by their story and their focus. And being a minority, being a smaller group, a smaller nation, being attacked and buffeted by the stronger and louder groups around them throughout their history has helped shape their identity and their culture. Sometimes we experience this in our own settings. You might be able to think of examples yourselves. Sometimes we find ourselves in a space and we have a connection with people who are like us in some way that is different to everybody else in that room. You find yourselves talking and having conversations with them when really there's only this one thing that binds you. But in that room, you're the only two people who know what that feels like, and so it brings you together. That can be things to do with our identity. Perhaps you know what it's like to be one of only two or three people of colour in a room, or one of only three women in a meeting of 30-plus men. It might be something to do with our shared history, if not our identity. Perhaps what you share with these other people is that you have been through something together and no one else quite understands what that's like. Those of you who have had particular experiences, those of you who have had particular illnesses, for example, instinctively know what some of those things are like and the thoughts that go through your mind in the way that someone who hasn't been through it might learn, but they will not understand in quite the same way. So it could be to do with our identity, it could be to do with our shared history. It might be something to do with your thinking, your politics, or your theology. For example, for me, I have ministers who have become friends of mine and have spent time with me because they have a similar theology to me, to us, not least when it comes to being an affirming church and registering for same-sex marriage. Because there aren't that many other people they know like that, they feel a connection with our church and with our pastors that defies all logic, but they just understand something of the dynamic in a way that people who aren't in that place don't. It binds us together when you feel like everyone else around you is hostile towards you. I wonder what your own experiences of that dynamic might be at work in your family, perhaps even in church. I'd love to know and hear about them and hear that story. Well, the people of God at this point in the Old Testament 
were bound together by their ethnic identity, they were bound together by their shared history, and they were bound together by their thinking and their theology. And all of these things together made them fair game in the eyes of the people around them. And so they're bound together by all of these things, and they sing to God, to our God, asking that God will help them through the challenges that they face, because it's only God's help that is going to get them through it. You know, our sisters and brothers in parts of the world where it's dangerous to be a Christian don't have the luxury of wondering which denomination works best for them, which worship style they prefer. They're too busy trying to work out how to live as faithful followers of Jesus in ways that might enable them to stay alive. It changes your focus, the way that you interact with the world. But whenever their circumstances in this moment The people here are looking to God for help and change. And what is most clear of all is that they are putting their hope in the God who, in the words of Moses in Exodus 34, is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Well, I mean, Moses spoke Hebrew. That's a translation of what he said. But you understand what I mean. This description of God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, is one we actually find repeating a number of times in the Psalms. At least five that I counted yesterday, and at numerous other occasions in the Old Testament as well. It's one of the prime ways in which the people understood the character and nature of God. So in Psalm 145, which is one of my favourites, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, it says. This is their way of answering the what kind of God question that we sometimes consider together. And understanding what God is like matters because it impacts how we live. And it impacts how we share God with the world. If, for example, your primary image of God is of a God who is angry and full of wrath and condemnation, and there is no space in your imagination for God who is anything other than that, two things happen. The first is we live in fear and shame. We anticipate condemnation at every turn. And the second thing that happens is when we speak to the world, we try to share something of who God is with other people who don't know know God yet, We do it without kindness and without gentleness and without humility, but instead with aggression and with judgment. Friends, that is not winsome. Aside from just being deeply unpleasant, it doesn't work. But actually, when you unpick where that comes from, so often the problem is not that. It's to do with the image of God that people who are speaking like that work with. The way they understand who God is shapes how we behave and how we speak of God. But if we understand God as being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, well, that's something quite different. That's a God who makes room for us at the table. That's a God who welcomes us in. And that's a God who hears our cries for help, like Psalm 123. Which is where we come to Psalm 124. You see, this psalm, I don't know if you noticed, reads almost like a song that the people sang when they were out the other side 
of whatever it is that's distressing them as they write Psalm 123. So something bad is happening, they sing Psalm 123 together, God does something about that, they sing Psalm 124 together. Now very unlikely, these two came in quick succession as they walked up the temple to Jerusalem. They might have done, but they might not have done. I suspect not. But this psalm is a psalm when we're out the other side. Or at least feels different in some way. It's not to say everything's been fixed, but it it feels different. So have mercy on us, Lord, in Psalm 123, has turned into, if God had not been with us, it would have been awful. God has helped us in Psalm 124. And I don't know, but as I was thinking about that this weekend, it seems to me that's quite a good reflection of what much of our prayer life is like, is it not? Our lives, our life together is a mixture of needing help and of being grateful for the help we've received. It's thanking God for our blessings and it's asking God to bless us. We live with these juxtapositions all the time. And the people singing this song definitely seem to have had a very real fear about what could have been happening to them. It talks of being swallowed alive, being engulfed in a flood of anger. It talks of waters sweeping over the people, of sweeping them away, of being torn apart by the teeth of their tormentors. That may not have literally been happening. It might have been their fear. Perhaps you've had experiences where you might have used language like that because that's how it feels. And that gives language to what you are facing. But what we know at this point is they have escaped. Whatever it is has been serious, and they've been worried, and they're in danger. But now as they sing this song, they've been rescued, and they have been saved. And so together with one voice they declare in verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the positive truth that they know. They called on the name of the Lord and God heard their cry. And they describe now how it feels in that moment when God answers or helps or gives us new ways to understand. They talk of being set free. They say we've escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. And as I read those words this week, I wondered two things. I wondered if everyone travelling up to Jerusalem on one of these journeys felt like that. Do we all feel like that whenever we gather together for worship? That we've been freed from the snare? That we have hope and joy? Maybe. Don't ever feel bad if you do, by the way. It's a good thing. We need more joy and hope. Or are there people in that community of faith travelling up to Jerusalem who sing this song as much in hope and expectation, perhaps even desperation, as they do sing it because it's been their experience? Is it for them a declaration of trust and faith, knowing that God has done this for God's people before, and sure enough, God will do it again, even if it doesn't feel like that right now? I suspect there's a lot of people in that community who feel exactly like that as they sing this song. And I wonder, my second wondering, 
is if anyone else heard those words as Bill read them to us earlier and thought about all the times in the New Testament and all the times in the songs that we sing, we hear about being set free. Free from the snare. So often we read and sing about what Jesus does for us on the cross, demonstrating God's love for us in a way that frees us from our sin and all that binds us and weighs us down. So much so that in Galatians chapter 5, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Jesus has made this sense of relief, this rescue, this redemption that the people of Israel experienced possible for you and me too. And so now we can be free and we can sing and we can live life in all its fullness because of the sacrifice because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. For words from Psalm, another Psalm, 103, it talks about, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. And so if we have a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love from the first Psalm, And we add to that now a God who hears our prayers and our cries for help, who is by our side, who will help us, setting us free. Friends, this seems to me like a God worthy of worship, worth giving our lives for, worth sharing with the world. Of course, we see and understand God most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And in our reading from John's Gospel, Jesus is, like our reading last week, gathered together with his disciples. In fact, it's just a little bit further on in the same encounter. They're in the same place. The same conversation where a few minutes earlier Jesus gives them the command to love one another because that is how the world will know that they are his disciples. And friends, in the light of our two psalms for this morning, I invite you to notice what Jesus doesn't say to his disciples in John 14. He doesn't tell them that everything's going to be fine all the time. He doesn't tell them that he can stay with them after all. He doesn't offer them a route through the situation they're facing that avoids the pain and suffering of the cross. What Jesus does is give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus does is encourage them to keep going with putting his teaching into practice, And what Jesus does is bless them with the peace of God. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. You will not be alone. This is exactly what the people are singing about in these psalms. This is the good news they shout for joy about. However difficult life is in that moment, however difficult life is for you in this moment, the truth that the people of God have declared for thousands of years is that God cares and that God hears our cries and that God sets us free and that God promises to always be with us. And if you're not sure if God cares for you, if God hears you, sees you, and will always be with you, I invite you to look again at the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
For through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here with us. Yes, it will still be hard on some days. We know that. But we also know that we will never face any of those hard days alone. And so for the capacity of living life, knowing that someone will always care, and someone will always listen, and someone is at work setting us free, and someone will always be blessing us with peace, and for the wonder of knowing that that person's name is Jesus. Today we simply say, thanks be.